Amen and amen. Good morning, church. I hope we all had a great Thanksgiving. Amen. I hope we enjoyed it with friends, family. If some of you also were alone, but well, I hope in your moments of quietude and solitude, uh, you, you had at least some sort of fun. Amen. So uh, this morning, I, I want to take a break away from protocol and routine. Okay, and preach something different and then enter into a time of prayer. Um, I do know that we are in the middle of a series. I'm even past my deadline as I speak because technically I should have wrapped up volume three today. Today should have really been like the final I wrapped up volume three and then we'll pick up volume four of our series on the book of John, the Lordship of Christ somewhere next year, God willing. Uh, but it's not so necessary what I'm about to share. Amen. It's equally as important uh, as our series. Amen. But um, before that, let me let you in on the three secrets of pastors. All right. <laughs> let, let, let me talk about one of the secrets which comes in the area of preaching and how we do it. I don't know if pastors Robert and Jessica will be happy with me that I'm doing that. But let me break that protocol and, and share how we pastors prepare. Amen. Uh, one, we preach from inspiration. Okay, that's the chiefest. And what do I mean by inspiration? It's from a pastor's personal life of devotion, consecration, and fellowship with God. So sometimes when you hear, I don't know if you've taken notice, maybe a pastor will say, the Spirit of the Lord told me to, or I'm, I'm, I'm led by the Spirit to preach on this. It's inspiration. Okay, so that's the best way we preach. So, before you stand as any of the fivefold ministry gifts to preach, uh, it's antecedent that you have a stronger fellowship and relationship with God. Because what are you going to preach anyway? So most of our messages are inspiration. Albeit that's not all. We always don't just preach inspirational messages or what the Lord tells us to preach per se. Amen. The, the second thing is experience. Pastors, we also preach from experience. And why do I say that? Because we preach from a, 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 our practical lives or the application of a scripture. And sometimes this type of preaching is normally known in ministerial and leadership setting. So most of those things that they are very practical. That's why when ministers gather, it's normally called a time of impartation because it's sharing your life, the practical application of a scripture that you have learned throughout the years to minister to people and sometimes even in the church too we normally do that amen so the word works we do that to let you know that the word works if you diligently apply the word these are the results that come so it might not necessarily be inspirational but you have obeyed the word you have seen the results of the word and therefore you preach it and actually when you do that your testimony and your witnessing becomes more potent and effective than just being a professional preacher. You know, as a professional preacher, you, you, you detach Sunday from the six days of, of, of the week. Uh, you have a different life, and then Sunday I just put on the, the coat of a preacher and then preach. It doesn't become powerful. You, you just become like a lecturer. Amen. And to me, that's one of the difference between powerful preaching and just good preaching. Any preaching can be good. And not every good preaching is powerful preaching. Powerful preaching needs to minister to the spirit of the person and cause a change 
Good preaching, it will just stimulate your mind. You will just be on a high, and after that, you've forgotten them. And so there are many good preachers, but it might not be powerful. And powerful means it has to change you to grow into the image of Christ. And that comes at a price. Sometimes it comes at the price of the pastor practically applying the word. And I must be honest to you, if you've been on this road for some time, it's not easy to apply the word. Amen. It's, it's not easy. Sometimes it's ego deflating. Sometimes it hurts to apply the word. And sometimes to the moments of joy. But when you look at the bigger picture, it always pays off. Amen. The third way by which a pastor prepares a message is outsourcing. Okay? I know that's not the right word to use, but I'll use it. You know, what does it mean to outsource? To look around for maybe goods from another country or something of that sort. But I want to use this word outsourcing because... Pastors, we read and study other materials, you know, like listening to other messages, podcasts, or, or season messages, read books, church history. You know, th- there are many things we read aside the Bible. And sometimes, some of our messages may stem from that. And then the last way by which pastors preach is by observation. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 23, the Bible says that, Be diligent to know the state of your flocks. And attend to it. You know, that scripture was written to shepherds, but pastors in particular are also called shepherds. And sometimes when you call yourself a pastor, or when God has anointed you into the office of a pastor, it's due diligence on your part to be very observant and watch some things. Don't, don't, don't just, you know, uh, be, be in subspace, be on earth, be practical, watch some things. Amen. And, and sometimes when God has given you that sense to be able to observe, sometimes as a pastor who also stands in a position of leadership, you should be able to address and redress these issues. That's why we have to observe. So today's message will really fall in the last category. And as a matter of fact, we should have been meeting in person today. But we are not meeting in person today because nobody showed up or registered interest to be there. So that's why we are meeting from home. And the essence of why we always want to meet once a month is not like we want to bother or encroach on your time. The reason why we do that is we believe church is also a family. So church is not just a religion. You know, Christianity has to move from a religion. It's a personal relationship with God. Secondly, God also brings the solitary and places them into families. And one of the families that God will place you in. It's a spiritual family. Your church is also your family. You know? So when you become a Christian, you don't just have your biological family or extended family. You also have a spiritual family, which is the church. And that is the essence of coming to church. We come to church to make sure that those ancient sacred values of meeting, fellowshipping, community, having a sense of community, those things become prevalent and they proceed over online meetings. Amen. So thank God for online meetings. Online meetings are a great blessing. It's been very convenient for us. You know, what would we have done if there was nothing like Zoom or there were no other channels by which we could some way or somehow congregate remotely? I don't know. For, for some, that has what has kept the fever and the fire really burning. Amen. So thank God for that. But 
we have to come to a place where that doesn't replace church. Yeah, do, you, do you understand? It sh- we should come to a place where it doesn't replace. And we have to be careful. It's something that we have to be mindful of. We have to be careful of. And, and we really have to um, um, place ourselves in a place of awareness. Otherwise, we, we could really let it slip. Amen. So um, that's what I really want to focus on this morning. So this morning, I really want to talk on passion. Amen. But before I do that, let's pray. All right, let's get into word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word that will come to us this morning. We pray that your word will minister to us in simplicity and in clarity of speech. Thank you that your word will be a blessing to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so with that said, I want us to look at today's scripture at Psalm 122 verse 1. We're just going to read only one, 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 one verse. Amen. Uh, by the way, don't feel condemned or accused. All right? Let me just give this disclaimer. Because that's not a pastor's rule. All right? A, a pastor is supposed to correct, not condemn. It's very different. All right? If you, are, if you are condemning from the pulpit, you are not a pastor. A pastor is to correct from the pulpit and not condemn. That is the work of the devil. And uh, I don't think pastors and devils are in the same bracket. Amen. Secondly, a pastor is supposed to instruct, not accuse. So when God gives you a pulpit, you use it to instruct and deal with the issue head on and not to accuse. So uh, today's session is not a session of condemnation or accusation, but it's a session of correction and instruction. Amen. And as a pastor also, the motive by which you do that is very important. You have to do that in the spirit of love and truth. Amen. So that is my motive this morning. Psalm 122 verse 1, I read, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. Now, permit me to read two other versions of this same scripture. Amen. So I'm going to look at two versions. I'm going to look at one called the Easy Translation, excuse me, and the second one, NIV, New International Version. So let me start with the Easy Translation. It made me very happy when people said to me, we will go to the house of the Lord. So I want you to take particular notice of that. Now I'm reading the NIV or New International Version. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So have you realized from our three different version readings, certain words, uh, glad in New King James Version, very happy in easy, and rejoiced in NIV. Uh, These words speak of emotion, and emotion is passion. In fact, one of the greatest surprises was when I looked at the definition of the word emotion in, in the dish, no, passion in, in the dictionary, Merriam-Webster's to be precise. I was very surprised passion was defined as emotion. I don't know, maybe you might have known that I just knew that today and I just knew that today because for, for me, I've always distinguish between passion and emotion. 
But when you look at the definition, the, the definition of the word passion is emotion, which I found out very strange. Like I said, I, I just knew of that like just some few minutes ago. <laughs> Amen. So what is emotion? There are about seven words that encapsulate that word emotion, right? So it means intense drive. So when, you, when we say that you have an intense drive, it means you overmaster feeling. Amen. Number two, it talks about outbreak of, of, of anger. So sometimes when we say that someone is passionate, sometimes it can be using the wrong, wrong um, tense. Maybe he's quick-tempered. I've even seen some people who are quick-tempered. Even so I was saying they are quick-tempered. They'll say, no, I'm not quick-tempered. I'm just passionate. It's correct. But that's the, wrong, that's the wrong use of the word passion, even though you have an outbreak of anger. Amen. <laughs> so there's, well, I'm not, I'm not quick-tempered. I'm just passionate. But sometimes if you don't label the thing well, you will not deal with it. You understand? You will not deal with it. So sometimes it's also important to label it rightly and label it so. Amen. The third thing about passion is love. Ardent affection. It talks about love. Fourth thing, devotion. When you are deeply devoted to something. Fifth thing, it talks about sexual desire. So passion can also be used in the area of sex. And then number six, it talks about deep interest. You don't just have an interest, but you have a deep interest. So in our season of Thanksgiving, ask yourself, am I truly passionate for God and about the things of God? Because if we are, like David said, I was glad, I was very happy. I rejoice when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So when we know Christ, one of the things that rubs on us is zeal. You know that Christ had zeal? He did things because he had zeal. Even uh, Isaiah prophesied about it. And that scripture came into pass. That, that also caused Jesus to drive out the money changers because he had to fulfill that scripture that said, the zeal of my father's house has consumed me. It's, it's passion. It's passion. And, and when we serve Christ, when we have a, a relationship with God, that element of passion or zeal has to come into place. Do you know why Paul was able to do so much, you know, and able to write two thirds? It was because of zeal. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. He even prayed for the Galatian church that he recommended them that it is good to always be zealous. How does he say? He said, It is good to always be zealously affected in a good thing. Not only when I'm present but also in my absence. You see, and, and Paul was able to talk about that zeal because he had that zeal. So passion is very important when we are, when we are talking about our service to God and our service also to humanity because when we serve God as Christians, we, we have the opportunity to serve humanity. It, it has to be passionate. It has, to, it has to have zeal. And it will first and foremost show when we gather together as a community. Amen. 
So like I said, thank God for online service. Nothing wrong with that, but let's not pit online against physical gatherings. Amen. We should see online as a complement to physical gatherings. No, no matter what, that will always take precedence. Amen. So it's not about, oh, you are old school. Uh, you, are not, you are inflexible. No, that's not really the case. There are, there, are, there are some things you don't touch them. Remove not the ancient landmarks, scripture say. There are some things that are ancient and sacred landmarks. We don't remove them. And, and one of them is the physical gathering or the community of saints together in one location. We, we, can't, we can't remove them and replace it with technology. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. You know, in as much like I said, it's good to meet you know, online, it has severe limitations. You can't do many things. I mean, you can try and do the best and maximize the best out of it. And the, the factor of convenience comes into play. You know, you don't have to dress up. You can just sit down and, and watch it from the comfort of your home. But that's not always the best. Okay? There are most, there are most workplaces that have resumed. There are most educational institutions that are not interested in online you know they have resumed you know everybody is making an effort so church we don't just follow society we also have to follow the writings of the bible and what god says and what is god's desire i think it's time that we shake ourselves off convenience you know indolence and spiritual laziness and get back into the rhythm of things and one of the things that i believe we need to get back into is coming to church together as a family amen so when passion is absent convenience becomes kin and that's why when you look at the first definition of the word passion it talks about uh, intense drive which means you have overmaster your feeling so if you don't have an intense drive feelings will take over and when feelings take over you will look for the easiest route possible. That is convenience. And when we are serving God, we don't have to serve God by convenience. We have to serve him by conviction. And when we serve God by conviction, you might not always want to do the easy thing. Or you might not want to do what is easily accessible. You will want to do what is right and what is pleasing to God. Is, is part of our service. See, when we, when we come into this lifestyle of fellowship and, and, and service to God, uh, there, is a, there is a part of it that is painful. I'll, I'll be honest to you about it. But this is where passion comes in. With passion, we are able to do the seemingly difficult, seemingly insurmountable things just because of passion. Amen. And, and like I said, when that is absent, convenience becomes kin. Currently, look at the landscape of the church globally. It's suffering. Numbers have declined drastically. Church attendance has declined drastically. Patronization of church has become very minimal because it's revealing to us the passion of people. And so I thank God for the pandemic. I'm not grateful that the pandemic has killed 
scores of millions of people. I'm not grateful about it. it it's just made me see the true nature, the true stature of the church and people who say that they really believe in God. Because there are people, you know, it has come to sort of wind people away. I know churches that have closed. Do, do you know how many pastors just in America, I'm not talking about the world, do you know how many pastors in America that have resigned from pastoring and gone back to being a vocational dude or a vocational lady? Many. Many. You won't believe it. Many. And, and that's what the pruning are. Do you know how many churches have just closed, not meeting again? That's a real thing. And now it calls into, into, into question, how passionate are we for the things of God? How passionate are we for God? And today in this Thanksgiving season, I just want to give all of us something to think about. Please, in your moment of quietude and solitude that you will have today or somewhere next week, ask yourself this question. Am I truly passionate for God? Am I passionate about the things of God? This passion is also called joy. Averagely, I speak to pastors a lot. Maybe averagely, I speak to maybe like three to four pastors a week. It's the same complaint everywhere. Irrespective of the continent. It's not just an American thing. That is a problem. Attendance. Pastors feel betrayed. Pastors feel like giving up. I'm telling you. I'm just letting you in on confidential conversations. Pastors feel like giving up. Pastors are tired. Pastors feel very betrayed. There are some who are saying that people who hold key sensitive positions since the pandemic, I've never heard from them. I call them, they never pick their phone. It's, it's, it's pathetic. But all this has, has also come to show us that this is what you have to deal with it. I think that's one of the things that it's, it's also coming to show. It's, it's very deflating in a sense that maybe you think you had this number, but you've come to realize that I don't have this number, I have that number. And that's the reality. And you may have to probably learn how to restart things. So let's be passionate. Because when we are not passionate, we will come to a place of convenience. And when we come to a place of convenience where we rely solely on our feelings and not on conviction anymore, uh, we, are, we are heading to trouble. The prospects will not look too good. Amen. So I want to read the scripture in Psalm 51 verse 10 to 13. Psalm 51. This passion is also called joy. I read, creating me a clean heart. Now, the background to this prayer was uh, Nathan had confronted David. You know, it made me see that David was a very humble guy. You know, David was very powerful. I see two things in this story. I see the boldness of Nathan. You could die. You can't, you can't just go and confront a king's issue like that, no matter how close you are to him. Protocol and everything will have to come in place here. So Nathan was very bold. 
And number two, I see David's humility. Do you know how I'm saying that? Because John the Baptist tried it. I don't know whether John read this scripture. But when John tried it, John lost his head. Literally, his head was served on a silver platter to uh, Herodias' daughter. Herodias means a woman married to Herod. That's a title. You know, Herod is just a title. So Herodias' daughter. All right. John lost his head. So it was very risky. You could go and you could not come back alive. How dare you go and confront a king's issue? Especially someone like David who also knows God. You know, during the Bible times, kings did not do priest job. The roles don't overlap. But David was a priest too. He could boldly say things like, give me the effort. And I don't have time to go into all those semantics. But David was a priest. He knew God. There were many ways he could have turned off Nathan. But after Nathan had rebuked him for sleeping with his general's wife, who was in his general's called Uriah, and David slept with Bathsheba. After that had happened and so many implications came out of it, Uriah had to be murdered and everything. Nathan confronted David and told him of his sin he committed. And David, with such repentance and sorrow filled in his heart, look at the prayer David prayed in Psalm 51, verse 10. And I'm reading, and I won't stop till verse 13. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit. King James uses the word right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. You see, there is something that happens when you have the joy of salvation. This joy of salvation is also called passion. There's the one that Nehemiah talked about in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10b. That the joy of the Lord is my strength. Passion. This is what David is talking about. Restore to me passion. The things I have for God. That passion I had that I danced till my, I, I almost became naked. That passion that I had to, to go for the Ark of the Covenants from the house of Obededom. Restore that passion back to me. That passion that I had that I could say that seven times a day I will praise you. Seven times a day. Can you imagine? David praised the Lord seven times. That passion that could make him see that, say that my eyes are on the scriptures day and night. Restore that passion, that joy of my salvation. Restore it to me. And, and the Bible said that when that happens, look at what they did. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. You sinners and sinners shall be converted to you. When you don't have passion, nobody will come to Christ. That's the reality. Passion is needed to bring people to Christ. It has to be restored. So, passion can be regained. It can be restored. And it comes by prayer. So, as you hear this message, don't say, I am passionate, but... Say to yourself, I'm not passionate. And then, humble yourself and pray that the Lord will fill you with passion. That's it. That, that's how to solve, you, solve this one. Because David could have made excuse. David could have made many excuses. David could have told Nathan, I'm also close to the Lord. Who are you to tell me about my sin? David could have made many excuses. 
But he just humbled himself and prayed this prayer of repentance that, Lord, restore unto me my passion again. Today, I pray that may our passion come back. May our passion come back. When you are not passionate, we will have to convince you to come online. When you are not passionate, we will have to convince you to join prayer meeting on Saturday. When you are not passionate, you will struggle to tune in on Wednesdays. It's a passion problem. And what we can do, according to this prayer, is just to pray that, Lord, give it back to me. And the good thing is that when anybody becomes a Christian over a period of time, you understand what this passion is. When you became a Christian, just look at how devoted you were. Compare it to now. Are you still passionate? So one sign that shows that you have lost your passion is when you want to make excuses. If you see someone that is having repeated series of excuses for a thing, you've lost your passion. Because passion drives away excuse. Oh yes, it does. Passion drives away excuse. Have you seen people who are passionate? They don't have time for excuses. So I pray that if we have lost our passion, may we regain our passion by the scripture. Now, Since we are coming to the topic of regained passion or restored passion, which is also known as the joy of our salvation, how do we lose it in the first place? I believe there are four things that makes us lose our passion. Number one, broken fellowship with God. And I say that because of Mark, um, I'm sorry, Martha, Martha, in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. The Bible says that You see that thing? It's not like there is no passion. There is passion, but people are passionate about other things. Do you understand? There is not like there is no passion. There is passion, but it's for other things. Martha was very passionate about serving. Broken fellowship there. And then she chided her sister on why is she spending time with you while she could have helped me attend to guests. The broken fellowship of God. And Jesus said, Martha, you are too distracted. So when you are not, when, when, you, when you don't continue that discipline of staying connected to God, you become distracted. You have broken focus. And that's all it takes for you to lose passion. So when we come to a place where we are not having fellowship, you, 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 you are not going to be passionate. So passion is sustained by continuous fellowship. Build momentum in your prayer life. Build momentum in reading the scriptures. Build momentum. Because when, 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 when that ceases a bit, your passion will dwindle. Passion is like fire. You know, as powerful as fire is, when you light it on a candle, any small thing can just turn it off. Even the fun of a paper can turn it off. And so is passion. So you always have to keep it aflame. And one of the ways to keep it aflame is to have a consistent fellowship with God. Sometimes I talk to people and I can tell he's in a far place. And he's in a far place because... The fellowship with God is broken in the first place. So maintain that. If there's anything that the devil will fight 
And I said this in our first series, is your fellowship with God. The second, the second cause is idleness. And I'll say that in the life of David. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. This was what caused him to sin in the first place. The Bible said that it happened as kings went to battle, but David remained. He retreated. Woe unto those who are at ease in Zion. Please, it's not the time to be at ease. Don't be idle. And as the popular saying goes, I don't know who even coined that saying, the devil finds work for idle hands. That is so true indeed. When you are idle, you will lose your passion. So this is what caused David the problem in the first place. He was not involved in the task that he was supposed to do as a king. That was to go to battle. And what happened were a series of unfortunate incidents. That was even a reproach to the nation of Israel and affected David's longevity even on the throne some way, somehow. Amen. The third thing is distraction. And I want us to read this scripture. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. There's an interesting church called the Church of Ephesus. This church was founded by Paul. Great church. Every pastor would like to pastor the Church of Ephesus. This is a pastor's dream. There's a church that Paul says that when I remember your name, I thank God for you, pray for you. Every pastor will like this kind of church. But let's read and find something amazing. These things says, he also holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience. Patience here represents perseverance. Okay, so Christ is speaking to the church in Ephesus, where we get the book of Ephesians. He said, I know your works. You work hard. You are very diligent. I know your labor. I know how you have persevered. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. What a church. They don't compromise. The world will have their definition of what is good, but not the church of Ephesians. They stand tall against deceit. They stand tall for the truth. This is an admirable church. In fact, if, 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 I, if God did not speak to this church and I just look at them at face value, I would like to join this church. What a church. A great church. Look at it. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. Sharp discernments. And in this time and age, we need discernment. Oh, the Church of Ephesians, you, you couldn't pull a fast one on them. They could easily discern. They knew the word. They could discern the things. They could discern what was of the spirit and what was of the world. They could discern thick from deep. These people had sharp discernment. And the Bible says that you have persevered, have patience, and labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Wouldn't you like these people? Wouldn't you be arm, arm and arms with them, lock and step with them doing the work? These are people who labor. When you talk about diligence, they are an example of real diligence. 
They labor for the name of God, not for the name of Ephesus, not for the name of the God of Dinah, not for the name of riches. You know, Ephesus at that time was a very wealthy city. And the goddess there was the goddess of Dinah. They, they, don't, they don't labor for riches. They don't labor for the goddess Dinah. They labor for Christ's sake. And they haven't become wary about it. Sometimes you can stand for truth so long that you can become wary. But not this church. They stood for truth. They stood their grounds firm. And they never became wary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Oh my God. With everything that this church did, they were designing, they stand tall against evil, they stood for the truth, they never compromised, they worked hard. I believe you want to understand hard work in ministry. Ephesus was a prime example. Hard work. This was the church that Paul recommended. I love this church. Mention you in my prayers. I thank God for your life. But God had a problem with them. You have left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. Else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You know, lampstand gives fire to a place. It gives light to a place. It brightens a place. So your, your star of prominence, your star of glory, I will take it away from you if you don't return back to your first love. And the first love here is talking about passion. By this time, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. God still recommended them. And I don't want to get into the Nicolaitans, otherwise time will be against me. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life. So, this church, they were focused on so many things, but they had lost their passion. Distraction. They were, distract, they were distracted in doing good things. They were distracted in doing godly things. Look at all the things they did. Stood tall against evil. They, they, they stood tall against the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I don't have time to go into. I wish I did. They were distracted. They were distra- distracted by their works, forgetting that they have left their first love. And the Lord had to call such a worthy, noteworthy church to repentance. I believe during those times, if you and I were looking for where we can have hardcore Christianity, where we can be disciples, most of us would choose this church, but God had a problem with them. They were the loveless church. They had lost their passion for God. Everything was done on automatic. They had lost their passion. So distraction. So number one, broken fellowship with God. Number two, idleness. Number three, distraction. And the last one, troubles. Troubles can drown your passion. And this past year has been very difficult. 2020 has been very difficult. Too many troubles, it can drown your passion. Under our supervision, I pray that may the church not die a slow and painful death because people have lost their passion. Like I said, this pandemic has revealed what people are truly passionate about. 
It hasn't revealed the lack of passion. It has just revealed what people are truly passionate about. Some people are passionate about sports. NBA, NFL, everything went on. It's people's passion. Some people are passionate about work. They never missed work and they boast about it. They are proud about it. At the height of that pandemic, they still went to work. Sometimes people's passion. Some people are passionate about the financial stock markets, passionate about their finances. I know people who made a ton of money during the pandemic. I even have a friend at work who was advising me, invest, invest. I said, no, I ain't going to touch the investment pool. I don't believe in the stock market. At this time, I should have listened to him. He made a ton of money, a ton of money, a ton of money. And that's my friend at work, right? People People are interested in things like that. People were passionate about activist campaigns. Black Lives Matter hit their height during the pandemic. Spent time, you know, campaigning about George Floyd. It's the right thing to do. It's commendable. And everything that has happened, it caught worldwide fire. Passion. Even a place like Germany, they even also protested because of passion. People were moved by passion. Who told you people don't have passion? I didn't even see people even wearing masks. Even at that time, it wasn't even safe to go out. People were out. People are passionate. And we can't do evangelism. So you see, it's, it's a passion thing. And the like. There are many things that people are passionate about. So I pray that under our supervision as Christians, may the church not die a slow and a painful death. Because when the church loses passion, the church is dying a slow and a painful death. I don't know what will be of Christianity in the next five to ten years. But honestly, when I look at everything as I'm observing, if, if we are going to serve God in this casual way to the point that we can't even make an effort to come to church. And like I'm saying, I'm not mad at anybody, okay? It's just an observation. And sometimes the hard things need to be said. And it needs to be said in love and in truth, okay? So it, it, it has to be said. But if, if, if we even struggle just to even come together as a family, then I don't know the prospects of reaching our communities for Christ. We end with a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.